we're going to jump into this. I think it's a really heavy topic that we're going to talk about, something that's definitely uh, needed to be heard. Uh, title is God's Glasses, Seeing Ourselves and Others in the Same Way God Does. It's not an easy thing to do, right? Not easy to put his lens on and view things from his perspective. But we're going to look at uh, what that looks like today. And the, the title of uh, the message today is, Who Am I? You know, maybe that's a question that you've asked yourself, maybe at some point in your life. Um, today, the focus is, how do I see myself in the same way God sees me? So, with that being said, are you guys ready to jump into this? Let's go. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much uh, for this this morning and bringing us here. Thank you, God, for uh, this time we have to dive into your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to all of our hearts, God. I pray that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's going on around us, that, God, you would help us to just set aside every distraction so that we could just take this time to focus on you, focus on your word, and focus on what it is that you have to say to us. We thank you so much for your love, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. New series, God's Glasses. Today's message, Who Am I? And I want to take this time to welcome our online campus. So happy that you could join us and be with us as we start this new series. As I said, this isn't an easy thing to do, to actually put on God's glasses and see yourself in the same way that he does. It's challenging. What we need to understand, though, before we take the first step is why is it so hard to see from his perspective? What is it that makes it so challenging for us to actually put on his glasses and look at ourselves through his perspective? And the issue is that sometimes what we do is we put on a different pair of glasses instead of his. Now, before I go any further, I need to clarify something. When I say all this, I am not implying in this message that God wears glasses, just want to make that clear so I don't have a conversation after service or I get questioned. The title just sounds cool and we're going to deal with it. All right? So, as I said, sometimes what happens is we don't put on his glasses per se. We wear a different pair of glasses. So, this is we'll, what sometimes what we'll do is we'll do this. We'll put these ones on. Uh, oh, yeah. These ones aren't mine. These are someone else's. And that's what we like to do sometimes, right? We'll put on other people's glasses. That this is how we'll see ourselves. We'll view ourselves through their lens and what they have to say about us, what they think about us. I'm going to take these off because I'm getting a headache. But what we do is we'll view ourselves from this lens and what people have to say about you. But it can be a very like a praising way, but also a degrading way. I mean, people can come up to you and they'll be like, yo, like, you're awesome. You're great. You're so, you're so good at what you do. You're phenomenal. You're amazing. You're just, man, you're, just, you're so good. And you think to yourself, man, I, I'm, I'm so awesome and better than you. Like, you're so right. And you just have this, like, pride that, like, builds up inside of you because you're seeing yourself in what they're saying about you. It all, could also be on the complete opposite side. You know, and people are degrading you and belittling you for who you are. Like, man, you just, you don't belong here. Like, what are you doing? You're just, you're just taking up space, walking around. You have no meaning being here. I don't know what those statements may have been for you or what people have said about you that, that hurt. And it, it's true. It, it's true. It does hurt sometimes. 
But sometimes we believe that, and that's all of a sudden our identity and how we view ourselves. We'll put on other people's glasses. Other times, we'll put on these glasses, right? Look cool, right? These, <laughs> these are a devil's glasses, because, you know, of course, he's a dark view of you, so fitting. Um, what we'll do sometimes is we'll look at ourselves through this lens, and as I said, he has a dark view of who you are, and quite honestly, it's the complete opposite of how God sees you, because that's exactly what his mission is. His mission is to make sure that you don't see yourself in the same way God sees you, because he has an agenda. John 10.10, 10, it says, this, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. He's coming after you, he's coming after me. He has a target on our back, and he's gonna do everything he can to pull us away from God. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna try to get us to buy into the lies that he's gonna sell us, that say, you know, we're worthless, that we're not qualified, that we don't, we don't belong here, that we have no place here, that we're defined by our sin and our mistakes, and we're gonna view ourselves in that way. And the crazy thing is sometimes we buy into it, and that's how we see yourself, and we allow him to mess with our mind. But then there's other times we'll put these glasses on. All right, these ones are mine. So this looks much better, and it feels better, but that's the dangerous part. Sometimes we'll just put on our own glasses. And it doesn't sound right, but it's also dangerous. We'll put on our own glasses and view ourselves through our own lens rather than God's. Because the issue is we have a very earthly perspective. We have a very limited perspective as to who we really are. Because what we see is we see the things that we have done and the things that we haven't done. We see where we are in life and where we're not at in life and where we haven't gotten to yet. And we'll define ourselves by that, who we are and who we aren't. We'll look at our accomplishments and we'll look at our, our status or what we look like on social media and our followers. We'll look at the position that we have or the career that we have. And that is, that is our identity. We place our identity in that because that's just our perspective. That's our view. And we'll just look through our own glasses. Where in reality, that's all we can see. We just have a limited perspective and it's not enough. We need to see ourselves in the same way God does. And it's not an easy thing to do. I don't want to stand up here and make it seem like, you know, you know, just do it. Like, it's not easy. That's why we're talking about it. But, like, as we look in Scripture, though, there is someone else who also had a hard time seeing himself in the same way God did. He had a hard time seeing what it was that God saw within him. And it's our good old little buddy Moses. So if you want to flip with me, Exodus chapter 3 starting at verse nine, um, and I'll just summarize uh, what happens leading up to verse nine in Exodus three. What happens here is, you know, Moses, he's just chilling, he's doing his thing, walking around, you know, tending his flock, uh, walking up this mountain known as the, the, the mountain of God, he gets up there, and then there's this bush, and you may know the story, but th this bush, just, it catches on fire, Right? It's just a normal thing that happens. Bush catches on fire. Angel of the Lord appears within the bush. Moses looks at this and says, whoa, it's weird that the bush actually isn't burning, even though it's on fire. Keep in mind, it's just like a casual thing that happens. He's like, I, I should go towards it because that's the normal response in this case. He's like, let me walk towards it and check it out. Walk towards it, 
voice of God comes out of the fiery bush, says, Moses, Moses, and he's just like, yeah, what's up? Here I am. He literally says that. He's like, here I am, just casually. Like, this is just a normal thing that happens. And he tells him, he's like, Moses, show some respect, man. Stay for a while, don't you? Take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground right now. He tells him, he's like, take your sandals off, dude. Do better. Come on. So he tells him that. And then all of a sudden, and it's at this point where it says Moses hid his face because he didn't want to show it to God. He couldn't look at God. It was at this moment where God told him to take his sandals off that he was afraid. It wasn't the fiery bush or the angel of the Lord appearing or Moses hearing his name shouted by God from the bush. It wasn't any of that. But anyways, God had a message for Moses. He had a job for him. He had something that he wanted him to do. He says, I have heard the cry of the Israelites. So what's happening during this time is the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. And God is saying, I have heard their cry. I have seen what the Egyptians have done to them. I have heard what has been said about them. I see this entire thing going on. I hear their prayers, and I am responding now. And this is what he says, uh, Exodus 3, verse 9. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I have a mission for you. I have a job for you. I see what's going on, and I am sending you to Pharaoh. I am sending you to go to the king of Egypt. You're going to be the one who brings the Israelites out of there. Got it? Moses doesn't exactly have the greatest response, which pretty much makes up this entire chapter. Moses says in verse 11, Who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, Who am I? Have you ever asked that question to yourself? Questioning, how are you going to do what God has called you to do? Whatever that statement may look for, for Moses here is, who am I to go to Pharaoh? Maybe for you is, who am I, God, to do what it is that you've called me to do, whatever that is? Who am I, God, to lead my family in the way you've called me to lead them? Who am I, God, to be a light within my friend group, within my workplace, within my school? Who am I, God, to have this position that you've given me? Who am I to do this? Who am I, God, to preach this message and stand up here on stage when I ask myself this same question, it's something I've struggled with. It's like, who am I, God, to do this? I feel so not qualified. I feel like I'm just not good enough, God. I feel like there's just so many other people who know so much more than me, that have so much more experience than me. They know what's going on. I feel like, who am I, God, to come up here and do this? I feel like I don't belong here. And what happens is we just, we buy into this, and we just completely doubt who we are and what we're capable of doing. Moses here doubted his capability to be able to go to Egypt and go up to Pharaoh. And that's exactly where the devil wants us. He wants us to doubt who we truly are. He did the same thing to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, you don't have to flip there, but Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and the devil meets him there. And while Jesus was fasting, the devil tempts him, and we know Uh, He tempts him three times, and he says, if you are the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus says no. He rebukes him, responds with scripture. Second time, 
uh, taken to the holy city, standing on the temple, and the devil tells him, if you are the son of God, why don't you just jump down? Because doesn't scripture say that, you know, the angels are going to come down, they're going to protect you from harm? And Jesus says no, rebukes him, and responds with scripture. Third time, devil takes him up to a really high mountain, and he says, after showing him all the kingdoms of the world, he's like, if this can all be yours if you just bow down to me and worship me. And Jesus says no, rebukes him, responds with scripture, and tells him to go away. And the devil goes away. There's three distinct temptations within this, but I would say there could be a fourth one that's kind of hidden within the lines of the first two because they both start the same way. The devil said, if you are the son of God. One thing that we need to make clear is that the devil's not stupid. He knows exactly who Jesus is. That's not what the question is here. So when he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, he doesn't doubt who he is. He wants Jesus to doubt who he is. And sometimes he gives us that same exact statement, right? If you're a Christian, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, why, why haven't you made it here in life? Why, why did you do that? Why did you say that to that person? Why did you look at that on your phone? If, if you really are a Christian, why don't you know this? Why don't you have the answers for this? Why haven't you been able to do this? Whatever that statement may look like for you, he tries to place that doubt in there. And what happens is we'll buy into it if we forget who we are and our identity in Christ and we completely leave it out. We need to not allow him to place, to, to, we, can't, we can't buy into the doubts and not allow ourselves to buy into it because he's gonna go for it. As I said, the devil has an agenda because what happens is when we buy into it, we doubt who we really are. That's where Moses was at here. He doubted his identity and who he really was. He says, who am I? And then this is God's response in verse 12. He says, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God said, I will be with you. You know what he didn't say? He's like, hey, come on, Moses, you got this. You're gonna do great. Like, just pick yourself up, you can do it. You, like, you know what you're doing, you know what to say, you were made for this, you got it. No, God said, I will be with you. Like, it wasn't about Moses here. It's not about you. It's not about what you can or can't do. It's about me, and I want you to know that you're gonna be able to do what I called you to do because I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be the one who strengthens you. I'm gonna be the one who gives you the wisdom to do this. We don't see a motivational speech here from God telling Moses that you got this and you can do this. And I feel like sometimes that's what we're looking for. We're looking for God to tell us that, hey, you're good enough. You can do it. Just pick yourself up. Rather than we have to have the other response and say, God, I need you to pick me up. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to give me the knowledge and the wisdom that I need to do what you called me to do. We need to completely rely on him. We need more of him and less of us. Because It's not about us. And it's never been about us. It's all about him. It's all about honoring him. It's about serving him. It's about glorifying him. That's all it's about. So we just need more of him and not focus on that motivational speech we get. God told Moses, I will be with you. That wasn't enough. Moses says in verse 13, and we see as this goes on, he actually questions God four more times. 
in this whole thing. In verse 13, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? Moses here doubts his knowledge and knowing what to say. We were just completely going to disregard the fact that God just got done telling him, I will be with you. I'm going to work through you. Moses here is doubting, ah, I'm not going to know what to say to them when they ask me who sent me. Seems like a pretty easy answer, why he's there. But he just, he doubts his knowledge. But God makes a way because he says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Because when you say this, they are going to know God sent you. It wasn't enough though. Because in chapter four, verse one, Moses said, what if they do not believe me or listen and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now Moses doubts his authority over them. He doubts whether or not people are going to actually believe that God sent him. He doesn't think. As I said, we're disregarding the fact that God just said, I will be with you. He doubts his authority. God makes a way though. He provides these, as you read, three crazy signs that Moses is going to perform in front of the Israelites that he is going to show to them to prove to them that these signs that Moses is performing make no other sense than God and that God did these because these are not possible without God. And God shows him those three. He doesn't just tell them. He physically showed them to him. So, you would think Moses is, you know, on board now. It wasn't enough. Because then you jump down. He says in verse 10, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now Moses, he's only focused on his weaknesses and what he's not good at. Because he's looking up to God like, God, I'm not a public speaker. I've never been good with my words. How do you expect me to go up to Pharaoh, to king of Egypt, and to speak to him? How do you expect me to go up to the Israelites and lead them in the way that you've called me to lead them, God? Who am I to do that? He's focused on our weaknesses, on his weaknesses, and sometimes we do that same thing where we only focus on what we can't do or what we don't know. And we disregard the fact that you know, sometimes God is going to put you in a place that, you know, you may not know what you're doing, but God's going to work through you, and he's going to work through your weaknesses, and he's going to shine through your weaknesses, and he's going to purposefully put you in that place. For me, as the intern, I've gotten to experience a lot of different things and do a lot of different things within the church. Got to, you know, get a taste of kind of everything. And last Sunday, I was supposed to go upstairs and teach kids. If we're going to talk about weaknesses, I'm not going to say that that's exactly my cup of tea, because it isn't. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love teaching and preaching God's word, but to a seven-year-old, it's a different game. <laughs> I don't know what to do, um, but I can remain confident in the fact that, you know, even though this isn't exactly my bread and butter here, uh, I can know that God is still gonna use me and I can rest in him because I was like, you know, God's word is not gonna return void as long as I let him use me and speak through me. Um, he's gonna do what he wants to do. I may not be good at this, but what matters is what God's gonna do. 
God's gonna shine through our weaknesses and he's gonna purposefully put you in a place where you feel very weak so he can make himself evident to you in that. For Moses, it still isn't enough because then in verse 13 he says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. At this point, he has lost all confidence in who he is. All confidence that he can go and do this task that uh, God has called him to do. He's like, God, please send someone else. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. I don't know what you expect of me to be able to do this. You got the wrong guy. Please, God, pardon me and send someone else. He has lost all confidence. And we see in the next verse, the Lord's anger burned against him. But God says, what about your brother Aaron? How about I send him with you? You're not getting out of this. This is my call for you. This is my plan for you. How about Aaron will go with you, he will be with you, and he will speak. However, you are still, like I am still sending you to go to Egypt. And he tells him there at the end, he says, so pick up your staff because you are going to go and perform the signs to them that I gave you. Whatever God's plan is for you, whatever he has called you to do, whatever your purpose is, he is going to fulfill it and he is going to use you. Whatever God's plan is at the end of the day, he's going to accomplish it, no matter what that looks like. We just have to stay obedient to him and keep following him because it was after this where Moses got up and he obeyed, he followed. Now, it's, it would be wrong of us to think that you know, after this, Moses just you know, was trotting around, smiling from cheek to cheek and just ready to go, pumped up. Probably still had some doubt. He's like, all right, God, I'll do this, but I don't think you know what you're doing here. I don't know why you're sending me, but let's, let's just give this a shot. Let's try it. And that'll happen sometimes, but it didn't stop Moses from taking that step that God called him to do. This isn't an easy thing. Moses had a really hard time seeing himself in the same way God saw him in this. He had a hard time putting on God's glasses. He asked God, who am I to do this? We still haven't answered that question yet, though. Who am I? How, how, how do I see myself in the same way God sees me? How does God see me? Well, luckily for us, as we go through this entire book, it is filled with passages in Scripture on who you are and what God says about you and how God sees you. And if we want to start seeing ourselves in the same way God sees us, we need to start flooding our mind with this. We need to start planning these verses within our head. Because once we do this and we dwell on this and we meditate on his word, it is then when we're able to grasp our true identity in Christ. So we need to memorize this. So whether if you're a note taker or not, I would suggest just writing these down, writing these points down. I have five things to share and just, whether if it's a struggle for you now or not, we all need this because it is so important that we have down our identity in Christ. That is something that we just gotta know and make sure that we can always come to and know which verses that we can run to in this time. So to start off, Romans 6.22 for our first one. It says this, 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. First point is this. You are not defined by your sin. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by your past. When, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. No, he sees his son. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at you, you who are in Christ, God does not see sin. He actually sees you as righteous. And it's because of Jesus and what Jesus did for you. We're not defined by our sin. Next one. In Exodus 3.12, it should sound familiar because we just went over it. In Exodus 3.12, this is what God says in response to Moses when he said, who am I? It's when God said, I will be with you. The second point is that you're not alone. No matter what it is that people have said to you, is that like, you are not just by yourself. You are not in this by yourself. No matter what that storm may look like, no matter what those circumstances may be, God is with you and he is in it. And you may have the question, how? How can I know within these circumstances, within what I'm going through, within what I'm battling with mentally in my mind and the lies that I'm trying to get rid of, how could I possibly see God in this? It's a very fair question. Truth is, though, if you want to see God, you have to run after God. Now, I'm not saying that whether or not if you run after God is going to change whether or not if he's there. He's always there. God is always with you. What will change is whether or not if you see him. So I have to ask, are you running after him? Or better yet, like, what does your prayer life look like? Because in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does your prayer life look like? Are you running to him? Are you pouring your heart out? to him constantly, day and night, because when you do that, there is a peace that comes upon you that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense for me to be standing in the storm that I am in, for me to be battling with what I'm battling with mentally. It doesn't make sense that I feel at peace right now, but it's because you're constantly going to God, running after him and going after him in prayer, and I'm not gonna say at all that you're gonna feel this peace every single time you pray. Trust me, I've been there. I've cried my heart out to God. I've shouted at God. And the word I would use to describe how I felt after some of those prayers would not be peaceful. I understand that. What I am saying, though, is that when you were running after him and you were pouring your heart out to him, you were going to know God is with you. You're not, you're not by yourself. You're not on your own. He's right there with you. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, you know, life is a bit of a struggle. God is with you right there, though. And Romans 8.28 says, uh, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Are you loving him? 
Are you running after God? Are you serving God? Are you honoring God? Are you glorifying God? Are you spending time with God? Are you spending time with him in this and in your prayer life? If you are, he is going to make his presence very evident to you in your life. You are going to see him. So if you want to see God and be convinced that you're not alone, you have to run after him. Next point. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Third point, you are uniquely designed by God. When God looks at you, he sees someone who is divinely created and crafted. He, he, he knit you together. He knit together your gifts, your passions, your desires, what you're talented at. That is how God made you and he plans on using you. You are here for a reason. You're not just here. God has a plan for you. He knit you together in the way that you are specifically because he plans on using you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. God has prepared for us to work. God is planning on using us based off of how he created us. God uniquely created you. And it, that jumps into the fourth point here. Um, in 1 Peter 2.9, says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You have purpose. Fourth point, you need to know that you have purpose, that you're not just here for a re any reason. Like, you have a specific reason you're here. You're not just sitting here taking up empty space. The fact that you're sitting here means that God's not done with you yet. It means that God still wants to use you and he has a plan for you. You have a purpose. It says in this verse that you are a chosen people. God chose you to be his child. It says you are a royal priesthood. We have direct access to God through his son Jesus. It says we are a holy nation. We are set apart from the world because we belong to him. And it says you are God's special possession. When God looks at us, he sees someone who is special. But we're not special because of who we are. We're special because of who we belong to. You have purpose. You're not just here. Last point, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Last point, and I'd say most important one, you are loved. You are worth it. It doesn't matter what people have said to you. It doesn't matter what has happened to you. God loves you. When Jesus thought of you and thought of me, and he looked up there to the cross, he saw someone that was worth dying for. And he went up there willingly and voluntarily because he loves us that much. While we were still sinners, while we still turn our back against him every single day, even though he was the one who's perfect and lived the perfect life and didn't deserve punishment, he was the one that took ours. He was the one that walked up to that cross 
because of how much he loves you and me. When Jesus sees you, he sees someone as worth it, not worthless. At the end of the services here, every time we'll hear, always hear Scott say, you are loved here, but way more importantly, God loves you too, right? Just know that it's not said here because it sounds cool, because it's a fitting way to end a service. We say it because it's true. And that if there's anything you can take away from this message, if there's anything you can take away when you walk out of this building, it's that you know that there is a great, there is a wonderful, and there is a powerful God who loves you. And he cares for you. So if there's anything you can know, if there's anything you could rest on, rest on that. All of these are important, but which one sticks out to you the most? The fact that you're not defined by your sin, the fact that you're not alone, the fact that you're uniquely created by God, the fact that you have purpose for being here, and that you are here for a reason, and the fact that you're loved, and you're loved by God. Uh, I'll say this as I close. Um, this book I have, it's called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. I love it. It was a great book, a great read. But at the end of the book, in the last chapter, the author talks about how you know, you still probably have that lingering thought, right? That evil thought, that thing that you're still trying to get away from, or that certain attitude that's just not right. It's like, I understand you're probably thinking, like, how, like, what do I do about it? How do I get rid of it? He says this, victory begins in the mind. One of the big ways to gain victory in your mind is to think less about the devil and about the evil you're trying to avoid and think more about God and the truth you're aiming to embrace. One of the most powerful tools at your disposal is the ability to memorize scripture. If we wanna start seeing ourselves in the same way God does, we need to start just focusing on him more. Stop focusing on the evil thoughts. Stop focusing on what we're trying to avoid. Don't entertain those thoughts because what he does is he references a garden and our garden is, our mind is a garden. He says, imagine your mind is a garden. Seeds can float in on the wind or be dropped by birds or be scattered in your garden by any number of things. But you as the gardener are responsible for what grows there. You have the power to water the good seeds and cultivate the good seeds and pull out any weeds that come from seeds that you don't want. So how is it that you do that? How do you pull out those weeds or the, the evil seeds that the devil planted there and the lies he says, whatever you give shelter and sustenance to in your mind is ultimately what will grow in your garden. That's why I mentioned to focus on these verses, memorize these verses, because this is what's gonna help us that when we memorize these, when we dwell on these, when we focus on these, when we focus on God's truth, and we allow that to be the thing that we are focused on instead of entertaining the thoughts and avoiding what it is that we just wanna get rid of, if you wanna do that, focus on his word. Because once we finally start doing this, we're finally able to start seeing ourselves in the same way God does and grasp our true identity. But it doesn't just stop there. Because not only do we have to do that, but we also have to see other people in the same way God sees them. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you so much um, just for this time we had to go into your word. What we talked about today is not
an easy thing to do. It's not easy, God, to see things from your perspective, to look through your lens. But I thank you, God, for how you see us and who you call us to be. I thank you, God, that we're not defined by our sin. I thank you that you're always with us and that we're never alone. I thank you, God, for uniquely creating each and every one of us and who we are. I thank you, God, for the fact that we have purpose and that we have a reason for being here. And I thank you, God, that you love us, that you love us so much that you're willing to die for us. It's so humbling. I pray that you'd help us to remind ourselves of these things constantly, to meditate on this, and to focus on this truth, because when we do this, we'll be able to see things from your perspective, God. I thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for just what you brought to us, God. I pray that you would help us every day and every night to just be fixed on you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.